Welcome to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. Today I'm joined in the studio by prize-winning author Intan Paramaditha as we discuss her novel The Wandering, long-misted for the 2021 Stella. Um, Intan Paramaditha is a writer and an academic. Her novel, The Wandering, uh, translated from the Indonesian language by Stephen J. Epstein, was nominated for the Stella Prize in Australia and awarded the Tempo Best Literary Fiction in Indonesia, the English Pen Translates Award and Penheim Translation Fund grant from Pen America. Uh, Intan is the author of the short story collection Apple and Knife and the editor of Deviant Disciples, Indonesian Women Poets, part of the Translating Feminisms series of Tilted Axe Press in the UK. She holds a PhD from New York University and teaches media and film studies at Macquarie University, Sydney. Hi, Intan. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much um, for uh, agreeing to, to the interview and we shall uh, get started. Um, Intern, can you tell us how the idea for writing The Wandering came about? Yeah, so I started with the concept of in-betweenness. Um, so that feeling of being in between regarding location and culture. So the idea came to me sometime in 2008. I was in Jakarta, in Indonesia, in my hometown. Um, but the way that I saw the city at that time was quite different. Um, because, um, so at that time in 2008, I was living in the United States, um, in New York. And I'm originally from Indonesia. Um, but I had been living in the United States for three years um, at that time. And there were many questions I had around belonging and attachment. Sometimes I've, I felt like I didn't really belong to the city, to Jakarta, but then I didn't feel like I belonged to New York either. So it's like being neither here nor there. Um, so, and I felt that I had two homes. Um, but I wasn't in one home or another. It was like sort of floating in between. And I, I think this is the experience that many people who have traveled um, felt. Um, so your life is sort of filled with questions. Where are you going? <laughs> Where have you been? Um, so yeah, so that's the initial idea. And I decided to write a novel that reflects on the ideas around travel, mobility, and, and displacement in the globalized world. And um, can I talk a little bit about the title? I'd love to, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so the title actually reflects this condition. Um, and this is the condition that many of us feel, like whether you are a traveler, a migrant, a refugee, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the the difficulty is the same for everyone, but this this feeling of th this liminal space, I think, is is quite the same in in different um, categories of travelers. Um, so that the original title of the wandering in Indonesian language is gentayangan, uh, and then when it's translated into English, the meaning is not really the same because gentayangan, although it means wandering in English, it also has a different kind of connotation because in Indonesian language, we use gentayangan to talk about ghosts 
who are in between. So they are not really part of our world um, in the world of the living, but they have not really crossed over to the world of the dead. So, you know, in, they are stuck in that liminal space. Um, and the Guntayangan, I use Guntayangan as a metaphor for in-betweenness um, to talk about uh, the various subjects who travel in, in the novel, yeah. Well, and also I think so many of the, the places that you chose to represent had that really sort of uncanny, you know, sort of liminal feeling from, um, and, you know, I think really sort of had that feeling of, of, you know, the atmosphere of the ghost story, of the supernatural, um, you know, the haunted room, the, the, the trains, the, the, you know, sort of going back to Bob's apartment, you, you know, there, there was genuinely that feeling of, you know, sort of, I think of haunted places, you know, just even in the, in the way that, um, you know, you, you sort of represented space with that sort of uncanny familiar um, sort of feeling. Um, and, and I guess also, you know, that it's so interesting to hear you talk about how, um, you know, sort of the idea for the novel came about, uh, because of course it, it is literally and actually a, a choose your own adventure. And, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I think that idea of the fact that you were, um, you know, sort of that each place that you've lived sort of becomes a possibility for a future as well, which gets so beautifully explored. Um, so can you talk us through that, um, you know, sort of that decision to, to you know, sort of choose the um, choose your own adventure form for the novel? Mm, yeah, I think it's really interesting how I, um, I imagined um, the you know the, the the novel to be and then the the, the response that people had so um, so yeah so maybe just a little bit of, of background I, I read choose your own adventure books when I was a child and I think the kind of choose your own adventure books that you read depends on your age <laughs> and the, um, the ones that I read was the the um, sort of the original ones uh, published by uh, Bantam books. Um, they started in the 70s and, and sto the stories are influenced by uh, the so-called weird fiction, speculative fiction, science fiction. But I noticed that Disney had their <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventure too. And, and R.L. Stein, I think she, um, he, he had the horror Choose Your Own Adventure series. And um, yeah, so I always wanted to write this kind of book, but I just didn't have the um, uh, the reason, like because I feel that the format and and what you want to say, they have to sort of link, they have to click, um, and because otherwise it would just feel like gimmicky, like a gimmick. So I guess I mean this is also a question for for students, like what kind of format do you choose, what kind of style, and you you need to have a reason for that. And so I found my reason back then in two thousand eight, um, because I wanted to write about travel, um, and travel was about making choices. Um, it was about being constantly confronted with the question of what if you had chosen that way and not this way. And so I felt that this format um, was the best to, to, or not the best, was the, 
the most um, interesting to, to talk about the, the, the idea of choices. And, and also in terms of choices, I felt like um, it's not just about, you know, being free to make choices, but it's also, um, it's, it's also the, a reflection of the limit, limitation of choices that we have um, when we travel, depending on our background, our gender, um, nationality, uh, race, uh, class, etc. Um, yeah. Uh, and, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't tell you about the, the response. So what's interesting is that when, uh, so I was interviewed many times and, and readers told me they, what they felt about the book. Um, it gave them the feeling of FOMO, you know, the, the, feel, the fear of missing out. So when you are, when you read one path, um, you've, you've kind of see because you, you've, you flip through the pages and you feel like, oh, there's that option in the other page. Well, how do I get to that <laughs> option? And what, what have I missed? Things like that. So I, I kind of, I, it was not intended, but I find it interesting. Look, I certainly had that experience and I still have a slight anxiety that I've missed out on sections yeah, yeah. early in the ebook form of it. But I think the other really interesting thing about that choose your own adventure and particularly in that in the story is the way that while you're given more choices than you usually have in and well, that you ever have in a normal uh, traditional novel, actually there's this terrible feeling of inevitability and almost doom at reaching the end. It, it, I think in some, you know, in a weird way, it actually intensifies the feeling that actually you had no choice at all. Um, mm. you, you know, it, it's just, it, 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 it is a wonderful, um, you know, sort of marriage between form and content. Uh, there, 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 there's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. But tell me, how difficult was it to organise and to write to that form? Because it feels like it would blow your mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. Um, so uh, it, it was fun. It was fun. And then, you know, I didn't have the, the pressure. It was all like, like, um, um, it was also playful to me. Um, so I didn't have that pressure of, oh, I wanted to publish this novel immediately. I, in fact, I, I wrote it in the course of nine years. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I did have like a general plot. So I had a big map um, with, uh, you know, the different paths. Oh, this goes here and this goes there. So, so like a visual map. Um, and I think all choose your, your own adventure books should start with a map like that. But then, well, because it was written in nine years, um, things evolve organically. There are new, there were new um, stories, new characters. And then I just followed um, the, uh, the, the growth of, of the characters. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, in, in fiction writing, people have been talking about the difference between plotter and, and panzer. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely both. So I, I started with a clearer structure, but then I really let the characters and the stories go. And I, and I as a writer, I, I grew as well. Um, I think towards the end. So at first, I wanted to talk about this in between us. Um, and towards the end, I think I also wanted to to um, comment on um, travel and colonialism and the importance of having this um, uh, a brown woman as a protagonist. I think that that particular um, sort of decolonial stance was more 
uh, prominent towards the end. So yeah, I, I grew in terms of my writing um, and, and my framework and the story sort of followed. And I also, so it wasn't difficult, it was fun, it was experimental. Um, and I thought that it was, it, the structure kind of fit my sort of lifestyle because I wasn't a full-time writer. I was a PhD student and I didn't do a, a creative uh, PhD. I, I, did, I don't think they had many of those in the US. So I did like film studies, um, more eth ethnographic research. Um, so really it wasn't part of my um, my um, academic training. It was it was more like a, you know a, a side interest, um, and so um, I didn't have much time to to work on it. And that's kind of structure like fragments, um, and then eventually, if I had time, I would um, tie everything together. I think that works for for someone who who didn't have much time, who spent nine years on it. <laughs> Look, yeah, because because what I was thinking was, for example, um, you know, sort of the, the the sort of the love triangle that we don't know is a love triangle between VJ, Mina, and then Mina's husband. Would you have, say, for example, written that in its you know sort of fullness and then sort of broken it up, or was it a case that you would kind of do a little bit of that and then you know sort of move on to to you know sort of one of the other sort of threads or one of the folkloric moments or did, did you have that sort of thing or or yeah because it's, it's fascinating just to think how you did did manage that ah um, uh, yeah I think most well sometimes I did that but but often it was more like finishing one pass and then I didn't write for maybe one or two years and then returned and then started another path <laughs> Yeah. Look, no, thank you. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it shows that it's a story that lived with you because it, it, it does just have, um, you know, sort of so much depth and, and richness of vision, um, which I think only, you know, time gives you. In a, in, in a <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, there are so many different modes of storytelling in The Wandering. <laughs> Um, you know, and from, from travel story, science fiction, ghost story, you know, sort of Mephistopheles, magic realism, you know, the, the, the works. Um, was that always part of the idea from the start or did that just kind of find its way in organically? Mm, yeah, I guess it, um, it grew organically because what I had at the beginning was just the structure, but not the... I would say what not the color, not the atmosphere of of the of that story uh, of that storyline. So it kind of grew organically. Um, so there's um, yeah, and then like it, mm, I also answer to sort of the need of of the um, or the calling of, of the story. So there's one part um, that was quite. Uh, spontaneous or or it came much later to what when I was going to finish the, the the book so my husband said oh he he he's also a writer so he's the first reader of, of this book he said oh you know what in choose your own adventure books um, there's always that one uh, option that finishes immediately and you don't really have that and I thought oh yeah <laughs> that's right like, you finish immediately and then you die and then okay I'm going to include that and what I thought at that time was just 
you know, it just came to my mind. I want to make this like a science fiction story. And yeah, so yeah, it was quite, um, yeah, uh, spontaneous in that sense. Uh, yeah, look, no, and, and the playfulness of that and the total unexpected, unexpectedness and unpredictability was, you know, just part of what made it, you know, an amazing experience mm -hmm. to, to write. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so given that it was so experimental and, and even just given, because I imagine that publishing a book um, in choose your own adventure format is actually more complex you know, sort of in terms of, you know, sort of technical requirements and things like that. Um, so, so how difficult was it to sort of pitch, publish, you know, sort of get somebody to, to pick up a book that was, you know, sort of wildly um, unprecedented in many respects? Mm. Well, actually, many publishers didn't have enough faith in the book, um, especially because of the second person point of view. They thought that the, the second person uh, point of view in a 500 page novel wouldn't attract the reader or wouldn't sustain the reader's attention. So I was really lucky because one editor uh, was really interested in it. And, and also not only that, um, um, she was interested in my uh, earlier book, um, Apple and Knife, which is a collection of short horror stories. Um, she had this more like a dark quirky taste and that's why she picked the book but if she didn't pick the book I I don't think it would it would find a publisher because um yeah but, well this is quite sad but I think in general publishing is still very conventional I mean they they do allow some sort of experimentation but but still within the limit of of what they think um is allowed so often publishers don't want to take risks because, you know, risk means money, right? Um, and that's what I felt about the, the, the wandering. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it received some attention, um, what you could say transnationally, but at the beginning it, it was um, really hard. It, it, they just didn't have faith in it. Because, I mean, that was actually, that was one of my questions as well, because, you know, sort of there, there's, there is a prevailing suspicion of second person. Mm, yeah. You know, because it is technically the most difficult um, perspective to pull off well. You mm -hmm. know, it, it, it's the one that very quickly becomes, you know, didactic, flat, you know, it can really create it, you know, sort of that, that, that very flat prose. I mean, I think Jeanette Winterson's done, done you know, great stuff. I think mm -hmm. she's got a, but it's, it's not the, it, it, it's certainly not the path, um, you know, it's a path less, less tro trodden, well, getting tangled. But can you um, give us some insight into how you, I guess, wrote the second person and did create a very rich prose where the, 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 the second person you didn't sort of feel like it was hammering the reader where the prose, because the prose isn't flat, you know, and I think that's one of the things is that, is that it, it's so rich, it's colourful, it goes places. Um, so do you have any sort of tips for people who are looking at that second person? Um, well, okay, that's kind of hard because I think it all it all goes back to what you want to say. Um, it's, again, it, uh, everything needs to have a reason. So my reason for using the second person was to uh, 
really put the readers in the shoes of this brown woman from the third world. Um, yeah, okay, I had to use the choose your own adventure because of the convention. That's what, uh, sorry, the, the second person point of view, that's like the convention of the choose your own adventure genre. Um, but the other reason was that um, I wanted to foreground a different kind of subjectivity because in choose your own adventure books, the character you is quite empty, right? The, you doesn't have a personality. And here the you is quite defined. Um, like she, um, it's a woman and she's a third world woman. She doesn't have the privilege to travel. And it's really that idea of, you know, putting the reader in, in this woman's shoes. And then you can feel, you can see, in, in other words, like in a simple term, you can see what I see when I travel as a, as a brown woman. I guess like that desire to, to create that um, worldview, I think that drives um, um, the, uh, the way that I use to choose your own, uh, sorry, the, the second person point of view. Yeah, um, so yeah, like going I guess it, it all goes back to um, the reason why you have to do that. Because I see a lot of, you know, second person point of view. And I, I feel like the reason why they are so, they feel a bit flat or they feel like, like sort of forced, it's because um, it's, there is no reason why it has to be second person. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, because it, it, it was that experience where, you know, it, it did feel as though, you know, sort of the narrator kind of, I guess, you know, sunk the teeth into me and then I didn't want to be let go. You know, that was the feeling like I, I was totally, you know, sort of wanting that, uh, you know, sort of that experience. And I, I think because also you had so much to offer. I mean, you know, like the wealth of tales, you know, sort of the depth of vision, the surprise, you know, there was a lot on offer for the reader who was prepared to see, you know, sort of through the you. Um, so, yeah, but no, no, thank you. Because um, it is it is often difficult to sort of pinpoint how or why, you know, something works. But yeah, it, it certainly is there. Now, The Wandering is political in its dealing with migrant experiences, um, drawing together, you know, a refugee from the Lebanese Civil War, a child of Nazi Germany um, and although it's playful uh, it really does consider who can travel and why and for whom travel is impossible without the help of the devil's pact. Um, so can you talk a little bit about those aims um, which are actually much more serious um, you know sort of than you might than people might gather from the the lightness and the levity and the and, and you know sort of the the, the humor because it's funny it's a funny book as mm. well. Mm, yeah, I guess the um, from the beginning it it was um, it had this uh, um, serious question about uh, your place in the world, um, your place be uh, how you are in a way mobilized by capital in our neoliberal globalized world and how and the impact of that to your subjectivity you feel like you are fragmented fractured being in between so yeah it, it started with with that uh, in a way serious question but it's just the way that I executed um that make um you know it it, it was as something playful as well for me and then the the other aim that um, that that grew with the book was um how how can we um the question of how can we decolonize travel 
Um, so at, at that time, I didn't think about the term decolonization. I just, I just saw that a lot of the travel stories were uh, written by men or Western men. Um, and, um, and even um, when they're written by women, I mean, I'm talking about the dominant narratives, of course, the, the, the stories that we know, like um, uh, the Odyssey and, and uh, uh, On the Road, um, and even uh, books, uh, contemporary, uh, uh, in contemporary publishing, we have uh, women writers like Elizabeth Gilbert um, with the, the, her travel stories, but they're all in a way, I don't see myself there. <laughs> they're all um, either a very uh, male-centered story or the, the women's stories are very much uh, situated within the neoliberal frame. And as a brown woman from the third world, I, I wanted to tell a different kind of story because that's not how I see travel. That's not how I experience um, travel. I didn't have the privilege um, as let's say um, Elizabeth Gilbert. So I guess um, it's about creating intervention to the kind of story you wanna make. So maybe this is also the question for, for students, like um, what is the dominant story and um, how, how does your story reproduce that dominant story or, or challenge that story? Um, yeah, so, um, so I get, yeah, and then the other thing is about making choices, um, how um, our choices are always sort of predetermined by who we are, where we come from and our race, class, uh, gender, sexuality. It's, it's, so it's about, it's a book about the desire to travel and it's also at the same time about the limit of, of that desire. Yeah, I guess it's that thing, you know, who gets to be called tourist and who gets to be called illegal migrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, you know, just but yeah, no. So 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 much that uh, it, that it, the story is 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 really grappling with. Um, so you know, this is a story of many endings. You know, most most uh, authors struggle to come up with one ending for, for for a novel, whereas you actually came up with multiple endings. Like I didn't manage to count up. Um, quite how, how many there were. But can you talk us uh, through Tijuana a little bit? Uh-huh. Um, okay, the Tijuana, that was, I think that was one of the last stories I wrote. Um, I, no, I had the idea, mm, I had the idea since the beginning, like I wanted to write something like Thelma and Louise like yeah like about female friendship on the road and then crossing borders um but i just didn't know how to do that <laughs> so i guess maybe this is something for uh to share for students as well but that story should be about the bonding between two women and then you know after i traveled and then i grew and and thought about um, uh, um stories i want to tell I returned to this um, very traumatic event in Indonesia in 1998, where um, Chinese women uh, were raped and killed in riots. And I wanted to talk about that trauma. And so, okay, I wanted to, to return to, to that story through this story of um, Thelma, Thelma and Louise. And, you know, just having that 
um, idea of crossing the border as, as like uh, crossing their um, assumptions, um, um, their comfort zones. Um, yeah, um, I don't know, if, does that answer your question? It was, it yeah. was finally different, you know, like there was a yeah. real sense of a shift in, in, in voice and, mm. in, and, and so I thought it was an interesting place. And was that always the ending ending? Um, because you know it, it is, I think, the ending, ending uh, in 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 the the wandering. So it, it does give you this sort of pause um, because there is this sort of shift in voice, and and it feels much more sort of pared back. And um, you know, obviously dealing with the the, the nineteen ninety eight uh, um, uh, massacres or uprising unrest. So um, yeah, was that sort of always going to be your ending, or, or was it one of those things that also just kind of evolved? um mm, yeah um no i did <laughs> i think the more the more we have this conversation and the more i realize that a lot of things in the book um are unplanned <laughs> so um oh i guess the um i thought that the ending should be like return to the first page something like that um but then I felt that um, I, I grew this attachment to, to that particular story. And I thought, this is it. This is about women crossing borders and they will, um, and this is what the book is about. Um, so yeah, I decided to make that like the ending. And although we, we, we have many other endings, but I feel like that's, that's the ultimate ending for it, for the wandering. Um, look, um, do you have some reflections on the way publishing works internationally, how it differs? And this, I guess, you know, sort of once again, feeding into the idea of, you know, sort of who travels, but, you know, sort of depending on where you are writing from and what language you're writing in. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, um, so I guess what, uh, in terms of the experience of, of being translated and being published in a way internationally, I found that the good side or the, the, the side that I'm, I'm really interested in is how translation works as a way of bridging cultures and people actually start making connection to your story so like um maybe i i can see more in apple and knife um because that's older that's um that was published in 2018 so i could see like the the range of, of various responses um so it's a collection of uh, dark stories about monstrous women and then people the readers started to bring their own versions of monstrous and bad women in in literature in western literature and and, and beyond um and making connection to the book and i feel like um that's the that's a very um uh that's a valuable or invaluable experience as as a writer and people start to to talk about it in in um uh, whenever they talk about feminist resistance or or decolonizing feminism, how we need to hear different stories of of women's resistance. So I kind of I feel like the translation itself opens up doors for a connection, um, but also translation and and global literature in general they could work as gatekeepers um, that define who gets translated, uh, what, what books reach a wider audience and what books um, remain in their place. Um, 
so I guess I'm, I've become more aware of the, the market or the, the so-called global literature and how Anglophone dominated it is. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have a lot to say about um, gatekeeping and, and what's being excluded and so on. But I guess for, for this conversation for the students, I think it's really important to keep pushing your story if you have something to say, if you have something to, to intervene um, to the dominant story. Do you, do, you, do you feel that you could share the types of stories that you don't think are getting through? Oh, um, sorry, what do you mean? Well, you were talking about the way that, you know, sort of which short stories are translated and which ones are kept mm. in place. Um, do, do you have uh, sort of some, you know, sort of insights into the sorts of stories that are being kept out? Ah, okay. Yeah, um, there are many, um, I think in, in a way that, um, there are many reasons. So for instance, I think part of the reasons is um, where you, how your stories relate to a particular audience. Um, so if your story is probably too ethnic, um, maybe that, that would be hard to find the uh, publisher. So, I mean, last year when, you know, with Black Lives Matter, we learned how um, writers and, and um, editors and, and basically people in the publishing industry, how they uh, criticize the publishing industry for being too white and how they have excluded black authors. So um, yeah, I mean, so if your story is just too ethnic, um, probably, um, you know, you, you, are, you will be considered as, you know, someone with, uh, with no potential for the market. But then, unless you tell a story that, that taps into sort of a humanist or a universal humanism uh, approach. Um, also, another, another um, aspect is where the story comes from. So for instance, uh, my field in, in that global literature is literature in translation. And I noticed that there's a hype for Japanese literature and now Korean literature, but we don't really hear a lot. And there's very limited interest in uh, uh, literatures from Southeast Asia, for instance, um, and from, um, I think, um, Arabic speaking world, even though that's a little bit better than, than um, you know, countries like, uh, let's say Thailand or Malaysia or Indonesia. Because I think that was actually something that your character Bob, the older love, said is where's the Indonesian literature? You know, in a sort of a nicely metaphor. Um, yeah, so yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, that's so, a, so, a critique of that. <laughs> um, so do you have any tips for writers starting out? Mm. Um, yep, I think I can um, share some tips. Uh, first of all, I think it's, it sounds like a cliche, but it's really important to persist in improving your craft. And that means nonstop learning, nonstop experimenting. I know that like there's a lot of pressure, especially if you're a published author, there's a pressure of sort of marketing your work, like putting your work out there and being active on social media. But, uh, you know, that's not the work itself. <laughs> you 
I feel like now I'm writing my my second novel and I I think it's really important I'm talking to myself as well to to have to protect your sacred site and it's your writing your relationship with with your craft and you need to to always improve um, and then the other thing is, oh, for aspiring writers, um, sharpen the framework, um, the way that you perceive the world, because you can tell the same story over and over. Like people can have, you know, the same love story, but it's it's the framework. It's the, the way that you read that reality, you analyze that reality that makes it a difference. So I don't know, I would say like, read widely even beyond fiction read anthropology and um, um, philosophy and like inter interdisciplinary uh, approach is um important um and that and if you sharpen your framework then you'd be able to answer that question of why your story matters and why you have to tell this story Intan, thank you so much. Um, so generous with your time and your wisdom. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you. And uh, yeah, look to I. I wish you all the best on your next uh, sort you. of endeavor. And I, I so look forward to it. Thank you, Intan. Thank you so much, Michelle. That's it for this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Bye.